sent your spirit, the one who come alongside us, who dwell within us, anoint us and enable us to be your witness. Father, we just want to, in this moment, just rest in your presence. Holy Spirit, come. We receive afresh from you. Paul said, be filled and continue to be filled with the Spirit. So we just want to take a moment now, Lord, just to say, come Holy Spirit, just refresh us again. Just refresh us again. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you dwell within us. The deposit, the guarantee, because you're returning, Lord Jesus, and we thank you for that glorious day where the heavens will be ripped apart and we will see you. We thank you, Lord, that we live as those who have hope, hope in a resurrected, eternal Lord who is returning. We thank you, Lord, that we're part of those who know that truth and have the opportunity and the privilege of living in these days to be able to tell others about you. And we bless you for that, Lord. And so we pray you'd continue to empower us, continue to anoint us, continue to enable us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Isn't that true? It's all of us, isn't it? We're here as his witnesses. Hey, thank you, team. Fantastic. Well done. Hey, it's lovely to be back. Haven't been here for um, about four weeks. Incredible. I trust if you've um, had a uh, holiday or a break of some sort that you're feeling somewhat refreshed and um, you're ripping into the new year. We had a good time leading up to last weekend when we had family with us from various parts of the North Island and um, Rara Tonga and our daughter Sarah and her fiancé from Melbourne over to help celebrate our son Joshua. He got married to Jerusha last Saturday. And um, that's amazing, really, to think that uh, it's a week already. And uh, they're on their honeymoon, which is nice, and we left here to clean up the mess. But it was, um, it was a great time, but it's tiring. You know, it is really tiring. Um, the last of the family left on Thursday. So it's, um, you know, it's like a family. God bless them. Thank you for them. Lord. No, I don't mean that bad, but you've got to be there for them. You know, you're pouring the cups of tea and, and all that sort of stuff. You know. But anyway, that's all good. But they know what they say. The one who needs a holiday most is the one who's just had one. So um, I'm having all next week off. But anyway, Kathy and I are now home alone. And uh, apart from our dog, who's a golden retriever, her name is Honey, for those who've had the privilege of meeting her before. You know, the golden retriever, just a bit of side news here for you. Um, No extra charge for this this morning. But did you know a golden retriever is considered the world's third most intelligent dog? When I look at Honey sometimes, I'd hate to see the fourth. I was going to say something about the colour of her hair, but I may not have a bed to sleep in tonight, so <clears throat> being golden, yeah. But now that Josh has left home, it uh, represents a new stage or phase in our lives. And, um, and that's what a new year is like too, isn't it? It's a new phase. It represents a, a whole bunch of new opportunities. And uh, a new year will also have things that repeat, things that occur every year, like anniversaries and birthdays, and holiday weekends, and that type of thing. And if you've ever seen the movie Forrest Gump, which stars Tom Hanks in the lead role, 
You'll recall it tells the story of how Forrest Gump, who was a man of lower IQ, and how he's sitting on a, a park bench or at least a bus stop, recounting his life story to strangers who happened to sit next to him. And you'll recall that uh, over the course of his life, he reveals that despite the challenges that he faced, he managed to be selected for the All-American football team, become a war hero in Vietnam, as well as become an outstanding ping-pong player. And these three incredible achievements meant that he was invited to visit the White House and had to meet uh, three different presidents, President Kennedy, President Johnson, and President Nixon. Now, my wife and I have been to the White House. We only saw it from the outside, uh, and that in itself was pretty exciting. I took up the customary Secret Service pose whilst I was there. Um, <laughs> trouble is I was wearing shorts and T-shirts. I didn't really look... <laughs> Everyone was going. Anyway, but most of us would probably be really quite excited and animated talking about being invited to the White House and having an, an option to be able to meet presidents, etc. We'd be quite excited by that, wouldn't we? Not Forrest Gump. He said this I met the President of the United States again. Somewhat disinterested and boring. Have we got that on clip? I can't see you guys. We don't have it on clip? Okay. I brought the DVD to show it, but it's the wrong region. So these guys, I just want to honor you. Thank you so much for bending over backwards. We even had someone leave the service when it was starting in order to try and copy it and everything else to get the right clip for us. But if you've seen the movie, if you haven't got it, you know, live stream it, do something illegal. And um, <laughs> someone suggested that. It wasn't me. Someone suggested that. We could live stream it. <laughs> anyway. But anyway, there's the part where he's sitting there and he says, I went to meet the president of the United States again. Yeah, because he does it three times. For him, it was just, here we go again. And here we are at the beginning of another year, and it's possible that we could actually be feeling a little bit like that as well. You know, interestingly, I had a conversation with someone earlier this year, and they said for them the worst day of the year for them was the 1st of January. And it wasn't because they'd been up late the night before. The worst day of the year for Jet was generally the first. Why? Because it meant they had to do it all again. Isn't that incredible? Do what, you ask? Face an annual, an, another annual job appraisal and evaluation? Another anniversary of the passing of a loved one? Another year of straining to reach ridiculous sales targets? Another year of studying exams? Another year of loneliness? Another year of the crazy shift work. Another year peppered with the thing or the things that stress me out, keep me awake at night, and cause me so much concern. Now, don't get me wrong. Routine can be good. It's all around us. The sun rises every day and sets every day. Only to rise again the next. Summer follows spring. And after that, there's autumn and winter, only to begin with summer again or spring again. You know, flowers bud and then they die, only to bud and die again. We get hungry so we eat in order to get hungry so we can eat, in order to get hungry so we can eat. I recall some years ago, Joyce Meyer saying that she was talking to her son and telling him that life was about getting up and eating breakfast, having a quiet time, to go to work, to come home, to eat supper, to go to bed, to go to sleep, to get up, to eat breakfast, to have a quiet time, to go to work, to have, come home, to have supper, to get to bed, to get to sleep, to get breakfast, to get up, to have a quiet time, to go to work, to come home. Routine. Routine. But it's not all bad. Routine is necessary. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this, and I think it's a great scripture to embrace. So whether you eat or drink, and that's the routine, whether you eat or drink, 
do it all. Or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Routine is good as long as it does not get mundane. The key is to see God in life. See God in life and in whatever you do, do it for his glory. You know, without routine, we wouldn't have much to look forward to. We need to have things to do. We are created with the ability to do things. And once the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit, everything was, that was routine became fresh and new. And after receiving the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, we read that the Holy Spirit came upon them with tongues of fire, etc., etc. In verses 42, verse 47, everything takes on a new and fresh perspective. Let me read it to you. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They, that's the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that sounds alive, that sounds fresh, far from mundane and ordinary to me. So in order to live a life that brings something fresh to the everyday and the things that we have to do again, we need to continue to be filled with the Spirit of God and have a desire to bring Him glory. And that will help us to take and, and approach the ordinary things in life and see them with the love that they should have and approach them in an extraordinary way. But there are two additional things that help to energize us in life or help to bring the fresh to the things we have to do again, the everyday things of life. Two things. The first thing is to know His purpose for your life. Know your purpose. Know your purpose. We know that what we're doing is what we're called to. We know that we're living out his purpose for our lives. I read of a rich man who was determined to give his mother a birthday present that would outshine all the others. He read of a bird that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words, could speak in numerous languages and sing three operatic arias. He immediately brought this bird for 50,000 American dollars and had it delivered to his mother. Well, the next day he phoned his mother to see if she had received the bird. He said, what did you think of the bird? And she replied, it was delicious. (laughs) She'd failed to understand and perceive the reason for the gift. She didn't understand the purpose of the gift. Jesus knew his purpose. He came to earth with purpose. He knew why he was here and what he must do. There were four things he came to do. He came to destroy the work of the evil one. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to um, fulfill and finish the work the Father had for him, and he came to bring us life. And there's some verses on the screen here that you can make note of if you like. His was not a laborious, mundane life, but a life full of purpose. And knowing that we are doing what he has called us to do is something that put a spring in our step especially if we're doing it for his glory and not out to make a name for ourselves. It wouldn't be terrible to live all of our lives, spend all of our energy and resources climbing a ladder only to find that at the end of our life, the ladder was leaning against the wrong building. You're knowing that we were created for this and what we're currently doing is essential. We know that we were wired for this, to help people. and That's why we became a police officer. Or we know that we've got a desire and a passion to alleviate pain. That's why we took up nursing as a profession. Or we're really good with numbers. We've got a natural bent towards that. And we can explain things. That's why we became a maths teacher. God wired me for this. And I get so excited. It gets me out of bed in the morning to be a maths teacher. Sorry, God bless the maths teachers. 
But we can manage and we can administrate and we can we sell stuff and or, or, or we're a stay-at-home mum or a stay-at-home dad or we work 40 years and now we're retired. We know that what we're doing, there's a purpose in it. We know that we're called to this particular thing. That is the most releasing thing in life. You're not just wasting the world's resources, but you're actually contributing, doing something. It's exciting. And you've got God's call on your life and doing it. You feel the smile of God upon all that you're doing. It's because it's for his glory. And if we are where he's called us to be, we are operating in that grace zone he has for us, whether it's within the four walls of this church or out in the marketplace. So the question we have to ask ourselves, am I doing what God has called me to do? Am I fulfilling the purpose he has for me? You see, if, it's, if it is, you'll have a heart for it. There'll be an extent where it's naturally just flows from you. Sure, there'll be challenges, but at the end of the day, it'll be satisfying. It'll give you a reason to get out of bed in the morning. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not merely endured. And sadly, many just endure it, hoping to get by. One of golf's immortal moments came when a Scotsman demonstrated the new game of golf to then-president Ulysses Grant. So this was about the 1870s. Carefully placing the ball on the tee, the Scotsman took a mighty swing. Now, the club hit the turf and scattered the dirt all over his be- the president's beard and the ground that was around him, while the ball placidly sat on top of the tee. And again, the Scotsman swung, and again he missed. The president waited patiently through six tries and then quietly stated, there seems to be a fair amount of exercise in this game, but I fail to see the purpose of the ball. You know, we can get caught up in life and the busyness of it all and lose sight of his purpose for us. And what we should be trying to achieve, bringing him glory. However, sadly, for some of us, life is just about existence. It's about getting by. With no thought given to what really is important, there's no thought beyond the grave or eternity. For others, life is about the pursuit of pleasure. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Today is the day, and it offers me, and I'll take everything that it is offering me. There's no purpose, and it doesn't matter what I do. For others, it's something to be endured. It's all about fulfilling responsibility and duty. It's all about surviving. Someone once said, if we're looking more forward to Friday than we do to Monday, then we're in the wrong job. I'm not so sure about that myself. I mean, we can still get tired, and Friday provides an opportunity for a little bit of relief and a little bit of relaxation on the weekend, etc., because we still love our job, etc., but you get the sentiment, don't you? If you can't stand what you're doing, you know, the reality is we need to change what we're doing and make a decision about that and find something else to do that we know we're called to and is, uh, matches and, and sits in with the way that we're wired. So knowing that we're fulfilling his purpose for life and vocation and ministry is a very satisfying thing and helps us to keep fresh and a fresh perspective in the routine that we face each day. The second thing we need, if we wish to bring something fresh to each day along with a sense of purpose, is passion. Passion. You know, whenever I think of the word passion, I think of the man in the Bible whose name is Jehu. Jehu. You can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 9. He was a man driven by passion and zeal. He killed the family of wicked King Ahab. He killed Jezebel, who was also wicked. Why? Because he was passionate for the things of the Lord. You may recall that Jezebel was the woman who had the prophet Elijah run for his life out of fear. After the victory that he had had on Mount Carmel, where he calls down fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice that is soaked with water to prove if God be God, then serve him. If Baal be God, then serve him. Remember the story in, uh, in Kings. And he calls down fire, and then he, he slaughters 400 false prophets, etc. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to get you. So what does he do? Ah, he runs for the desert. But Jehu doesn't phase her, doesn't phase him. He goes after her. 
takes her out. Uh, by that, I don't mean to a restaurant. I mean, you know. He actually calls four eunuchs up on, on, a, on, a, on, a, uh, on the roof, and she's up there, and he calls those guys to throw her down. So they picked her up and chucked her off. And then the dogs ate her. It's pretty, pretty graphic, sort of. Jehu didn't care. Take out this wicked woman, Jezebel. There's one time when Jehu, Jehu is riding his chariot towards a city. And the lookout is looking out. He's too far away to recognize the, who he is facially. And someone says, who's coming? And he says, I don't know. But it must be Jehu because he rides like a madman. He rides like a madman. So passionate he was. And when I picture him in my mind, I have a, a, a younger version of Dr. Emmett Brown from the Back to the Future trilogies, you know. You know, Christopher Lloyd with his hair standing up on end and eyes darting and head. Money, money. Yeah. So I have a younger version of him just sort of passionate about the things of God. When Jehu finally does reach that city, he's asked if he comes in peace. Do you come in peace? 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 How can there be any peace when we tolerate that woman Jezebel? He was passionate. You see, he was on a mission to rid the land of wickedness. He was a desperate man on a desperate mission with a desperate message for a desperate generation. And nothing really has changed. We live in a desperate world, and it's a desperate generation, and it's in desperate need of a desperate people with a desperate message, full of passion for Jesus and his cause. And I believe in these days, God is raising up a generation of people who will march to the beat of a different drum. Not to the beat of the world's drum and bow to all that the world has, but will march to the beat of a different drum. Who will rise up and say, no, but I believe. I believe. And I'm standing for what I believe. You may recall King Nebuchadnezzar. He sets up an idol, an image, and says, you've got to bow to this image, otherwise you get thrown in the fiery furnace. Two options, bow or burn. And so three young Israelite boys by the name of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so, uh, we're standing, we're standing, we're not going to bow. Well, then you're going to get thrown in the fiery furnace, doesn't matter. And the cool thing is that they said, our God is well able to save us, but if not, we still will not bow. They were prepared to give their lives for the cause. They were passionate for the Lord. And so they end up getting thrown in the fiery furnace. But the neat, neat thing is that they don't perish in the fiery furnace. The only thing that is the bonds, the, the string, the rope that tied them up. And then they were free walking around in the fiery furnace. And when Nebuchadnezzar and the others look into the furnace, they see a fourth person there looking like the Son of Man. They had a revelation of God like never before because they took a stand. You know, when we take a stand and we go against the, 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 the world, and we say, we're not going to do it. We're standing for the Lord. We will have a revelation. We have an understanding in this of God like we never had before because we're standing for him. It's exciting. It's exciting. God is raising up a generation, and I don't know about you, but that doesn't necessarily mean to be a younger generation like the younger ones that are growing up. We're all in if we all say yes. And we've all got to say yes. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 11 said, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. goes on to say, um, be patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Never be lacking in zeal. Never be lacking in zeal. The context of the scripture is Paul is providing a series of exhortations concerning our personal character and attitudes. Attitudes that set us apart from others and thereby making us more attractive particularly to those who have yet to have a revelation of who Jesus is and an understanding of the power of the cross. The key thought here is the last cause, which is well, clause at least, which is serving the Lord. And the first two clauses explain how the believer is to serve the Lord. We are to never lack zeal, never to shrink back, keep our fervor and passion for the Lord. And he's saying there shouldn't be a time when we don't have a zealous passion for him. That unfortunately means 
There shouldn't be a time when we feel like black coffee on Monday morning. You know? But we've got to get out of bed with a spring in our step because there's something to live for. It's the Lord and bringing him glory. So whatever we do, we had to do it passionately for his glory. Some years ago, a great English actor by the name of MacReady was approached by a preacher and asked this, what is the reason for the difference between you and me? You're appearing before crowds night after night with fiction, and the crowds come wherever you go. I'm preaching the essential, unchangeable truth, and I am not getting any crowd at all. MacReady's answer was this. It's quite simple. I can tell you the difference between us I present fiction as though it were truth. You present truth as though it were fiction. You know, we hold in our hands the truth, the eternal truth. We hold in our hearts the eternal truth. We've been entrusted with the message of hope for this world. And yet we often treat it as kind of an optional extra. If anyone kind of just feels mildly interested, we might just share it. Maybe. You know, if we're passionate about something, we won't help, but we can't help but tell people about it. Like the football game last night. Oh, you should have seen the way. Oh, man. You, you, I, I've got it. You look at my... You know, I, I or the new car we've got. Come on out. I'll take it for a spin. We're passionate about things. It should be the same with the Lord. Yeah. The truth is that passion energizes life. It helps make the impossible possible. And if we aren't passionate, life becomes dull, monotonous, mundane. And without passion, life is more like existing than the full-on life that we are to be living. God called us to live life full. Live with vibrancy, with energy and enthusiasm. He said that he came that we might have life and life in all its fullness. It's to be a full and fulfilling life. Not one that we just go through the routines. Again. When you think about it, passion and purpose go hand in hand really. The more we know our purpose for living, the more passionate we will become. Because purpose creates passion. Someone put it this way, Brent Hobbs in actual fact. He said this, passion is waking up each morning, wherever you are, and bounding out of bed because you know there is something out there that you love to do, that you believe in and that you're good at. Something that's bigger than you and that you can hardly wait to get at it again. You know, if we're honest with ourselves and can see that we aren't all that passionate about life or even the Lord, then we need to do something about it. Otherwise, it's just going to be a drudgery, a whole lot of have-tos. Another meeting, oh, I've got to go. We're, oh, here we go again. Boss wants in the office, here we go. Another start, here we go. Another sermon to preach, here we go. There are three things that we can do, I'd like to share with you, to ignite or reignite passion. The first one is, sort your schedule. Sort your schedule. You know, if we're overworked, we will lose passion. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't get the balance right between work and rest. We'll burn out. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there's a time for everything under the sun. Time for work and a time for rest. So there is a time to work, definitely. But there's also a time to rest, a time to put your feet up and sip a latte, to have some fun. Our lives should be faith-filled and have aspects of fun in them too. We need time to recharge our batteries. To reignite our passion, we just sort out our schedule and adjust it accordingly. And in so doing, we'll gain a love for life because we lift our head above the water, able to see clearly and breathe fresh air. Okay, second thing. To reignite our passion, we need to sustain our soul. We need to feed our inner person, feed our soul. We can become so busy that we neglect the inner person. 
our spirit and our soul. The Bible tells us to guard our hearts because out of it flow the issues of life. If we don't live, you see, we don't live from the outside in. We live from the inside out. The good person out of the good stored up in them will bring forth good things, but the evil person out of the evil stored up in them will bring forth evil things. We live from the inside out. We live from the inside out. We need to spend time ordering our private world, ordering the inner person. And that happens as we spend time with the Lord in his word, which is sharper than any double-edged sword, and is able to judge our thoughts and attitudes, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped. And as we spend time with the Lord, we again recognize that no matter what, And no matter who we become, we'll never cease to be a child in his loving arms. Never cease to be an object of his attention, his affection, his love, and his gaze. And from that place, our thinking is strained out, our hearts realigned. We get readjusted, recommissioned, refined, and refired, ready to face the world that is in so much need of him. You know, this is the first place the enemy will attack us. Just like in any war, the enemy will try to cut out the supply line of the army they're fighting. The enemy will do the same. He'll get us distracted, get us busy, etc., etc., to cut off that time, that critical time we should have with the Lord. Cut off the supply line so we end up fighting with limited resources and in our own strength. And then we wonder how we drifted. We wonder why we don't have that first love that we used to have before for him. We've lost our passion and our zeal. It's because... The supply line's been cut off. So we've got to sustain our soul if we want to reignite passion. We've got to sort out our schedule if we want to reignite our passion. And the third thing we need to do is to share our story. Share our story. The truth is the inner being is renewed when we share our faith with others about Jesus. And it's been said there's nothing ignites passion more quickly than having a conversation that leads to talking about Jesus. To stay fresh, alive, and vital, We need to have that habit of telling people about the Lord. Psalm 96 verse 2 says, Each day tell someone that he saves. Each day tell someone that he saves. And as we share, something happens deep within here. And if we don't share, we run the risk of becoming stagnant. We get the inflow, but there's no flow out. We're not giving out. So there are three things to help us ignite our passion. Sort out our schedule sustain ourselves, build ourselves up, spend time, and then share our story. Many will know the story of Tom Sawyer, a young boy who was told to go outside and paint the fence. Well, Tom didn't feel like working much, and he wanted to go out and play with his friends, you recall. But instead of getting all negative and sour, he just decided to go about doing the best or making the best of the situation he was. So he went out and started painting the fence with purpose and with passion as though he were enjoying it. His friends came around, and when they saw how much Tom was enjoying this, they became envious of him. And they said, hey, Tom, would you let us paint the fence? And he said, oh, no, this is my project. Oh, no, 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 no. This is my fence. You couldn't do what I'm doing. Not at all. He played it up big time. And if you know the story, you'll know how it's all said and done, that Tom Sawyer is the one ending up sitting back watching his friends paint the fence, simply because he approached the chore with enthusiasm and with passion and a sense of purpose. And who knows what could happen if we approach life the same way. You know, passion coupled with knowing our purpose will help us to live out this year with its associated routines, stresses, and strains, not looking at it like Forrest Gump or something we have to do again, but with an element of excitement. You see, each year is packed full of potential because life is for living. And Romans tells us that we are called to reign in life through Jesus Christ and the grace he gives us and his righteousness. Romans 5.17 says this, How much more, how much more will those who receive God's abundant 
provision of grace and of gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Reign in life. That's awesome. 2018 is indeed a year for living. So let's wring every ounce of opportunity out of it for his kingdom's sake and determine to live it with passion as we pursue his purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. Would you stand with me, please? I'd like to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for this year and the potential that this year has. And I know that many of us have prayed and dedicated the year to you, etc. But Lord, it is a year full of potential. And I would ask in Jesus' name that you'd help us to discover your purpose in the midst of this year. Father, maybe there's some of us that are not even sure we're doing what we should be doing. Father, help us to have the, the time and take the time to hear your voice clearly and to make the adjustments that we need to make in order to ensure that we're living according to your purpose and your plan. Help us to live with passion, to never lack zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving you each and every day that we have. Never let us get bogged down in life, but to reign in life through you, Lord Jesus, I pray. And for those of us that need to readjust our schedules, Father, I pray in Jesus' name you'd give us the ability to be able to do that, the wherewithal to do it, the wisdom to do that. Lord, that we would have the boldness to share our story and that, Father, we would know what it is to continue to build up the inner person, to sustain our soul, to spend that precious time with you, that the supply line would not be cut off, but, Lord, there would be just a a flow from you to us and from us to the world in Jesus' name. And throughout this year, whether we're eating or drinking, whatever we do, we would be conscious of doing it all for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Thank you, God bless you. We're going to sing.